monsters. <laughs> Welcome to the Murder Horror Monsters podcast. I am. I knew you get it this time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I am, or or, that that rather is 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 Ash. (laughs) I mean, you can introduce yourself too. It's okay, Blue. Totally blank for like two seconds. What are we talking about? We're not. We're not restarting. Nope, we're not restarting. We're all here. We're here. Mistakes included. That uh, lovely voice, uh, who shares a brain cell with me majority (laughs) of the time, is Skloon. Yes. We're excited. Yeah. Are you excited? I'm excited. Are you excited? Mm -hmm. We're excited. We're excited. Uh, we took some time to get our teas together, so I feel like it's just right that we just start from the tippy top with our teas for the day. And yours is, you said yours is steeping, but what did you go with today? It is hibiscus, orange peel, and rose hips. Ooh. Mm. I have a, my tried and true headache tea because I have a headache since I went to the dentist yesterday and I'm still slightly inflamed. Yeah. Listen, I'm that person where I'm just like, let's get all of the things done now. So I got my whole right side done for fillings and I hadn't been to the dentist in a while. So it was like six fillings that were needed and it's rough. They stick the needle in your gums. They did. So my dentist is really nice, and she does, like, a topical numbing first so that you don't really feel the pinch. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. You still feel, like, a little bit, but it's not nearly as bad as without it. Yeah. So she's, she's really, really nice in that regard, and... She really wants to make sure that, like, you don't feel anything. So she'll make sure to double check in with you. And, like, she'll sit there and she'll come over and she'll just tap my jaw. And she'll be like, you feel that? I'm like, nope. She's like, good, you're ready. Like, like she won't start until I'm comfortable. Yeah. Man, I had a dentist when I was a kid. That was a nightmare. They would, like, stick the needle in. One, I'm I'm afraid of needles. I'm doing better as an adult because I had to go to the hospital for, like, a week. So I had to get over it really quick. But yeah. she would stick the needles in my mouth, and then she would walk away for like half an hour, wait for the numbing stuff to go away, and then start working. I feel like I did not wait like half an hour, so your <laughs> dentist was definitely either yeah. using not good stuff or was just mean. Because I think she stuck me in six different spots, and then I think we only waited like maybe five minutes, ten minutes. Oh no, yeah. Like it really wasn't that long. Yeah. Dentist I had, like, the, the numbing stuff was working in, like, five, ten minutes, but she wouldn't come back until, like, half an hour. So by the time she oh. came back, all the numbing stuff was gone. Oh, no. Yeah. I would have been like, ma'am, hello, yeah. yes, I'm leaving. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for the no torture. Here's $60. Thank you. I didn't really used to like dentists until... I actually became, like, an adult. Yeah. If that's... Like, it, the whole stigma of it when you're a kid, it's, like, it's super scary and you don't really want to deal with it. Like, you can't hold your mouth open for long periods of time. And, like, 
I don't know if it's this dentist that I just have never had an issue with so far or just the feeling overall, but I actually enjoy going to the dentist. It's a fun time. Yeah. They're really nice. It's pretty chill. They let me they let me come in uh, when no one else is there Ooh. because I usually go on the on Saturday. They're the only dentist that's open on Saturday, and so there's no one else, and so we just we talk about true crime. We talk about, uh, you know, Right now, my dentist is pregnant, so we talk about, like, how she doesn't want to listen to true crime because she doesn't want to upset the baby, and how she's going to the Himalayas over the weekend. Like, she's pretty great, so I, my, my dad hates it. My dad hates the dentist. Uh, My partner also doesn't like the dentist, so who, who knows? Who knows if it's just a me thing, if it's an adult thing. Who knows? I don't know. I I really liked it when I was a kid because we get to, we got to call out of school, so like oh I, yeah, I knew I was gonna be home for the rest of the day. <laughs> it's the experience of going to the doctor or dentist versus actually being in the dentist yeah, chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. did your did your parents also like when you were done with your doctor's office, they like took you to McDonald's or something? Yeah, like, which like, which right. made no sense when we went to the dentist because they also did that. I was like, but but they just they cleaned our teethies, like this. <laughs> yeah, nope. But that's the only that was the treat that you got. You were such a good girl. Yeah, that they gave you McDonald's afterwards. Yeah, it was the greatest means. thing. Yeah, yeah. That was the greatest thing. It's the one true thing I looked forward to. It's like they're going to the dentist Monday, and I'm like, oh, but chicken nuggets. Okay, okay, I gotta do this. It was, my mom was that person where, even though she took us off for the doctor, uh, like, we would be late for school, but she would make sure to, like, let us come back for lunch, and we would have, like, the really cool lunch. Like, we would have the Subway, because at the time, Subway was cool yeah uh the subway sandwiches or the mcdonald's meals the burger king meals like she always was like all right well you get to go to school and you probably missed like having to be able to get actual lunch so ta-da and like you were the cool kid for like the rest of the day (laughs) yeah it was pretty pretty wild times where mcdonald's made you the cool kid yeah but how are you this this day i'm pretty good I woke up early, started getting our stuff done. Well, early for me, because mm-hmm. I didn't set my alarms. <laughs> I usually have alarms to wake me up at like 8 o'clock in the morning, but I didn't, because I wanted to sleep in. Yeah, we were up pretty late. We yeah. were we were hanging out into the wee hours, the morn. Yeah, um, living our best life. And it was funny, because I went to bed at 4.30, even though we stopped talking and like hanging out at 3.30. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> I went to bed at 4.30, and then I woke up at, like, 11, and I was just up. Like, my body did not want to go back to sleep, but I was like, but I kind of want to sleep, and it was like, nope, we're up today. Yeah. My body's weird sometimes. Oh, yeah. I remember, not proud of it, but I remember being, like, 21, 23, and drinking, partying all night, and then going to bed at like four in the clock in the morning, but being awake at nine o'clock in the morning for like brunch the next day. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was just like awake and ready to seize the day. And I hated it. I hated what happened to me. And I think I still kind of do that. 
I don't know if anyone else does that. Like, it's not an alarm. It's just your body just naturally wakes up. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's really nice, though, because sometimes it like, gets so used to it, at a decent hour at least, that you're just waking up at the same time every day and you're like, all right, let's go, no alarm. Here's my issue, though. I work a nine to six o'clock job every day. And I still cannot wake up at a decent time in the morning to properly function for a couple of hours. I literally (laughs) roll out of bed 10 minutes before my shift starts. I, you know, wash my face. I, like, go to the bathroom, you know, kind of freshen up just in general. And then I clock in. And I'm good to go. But I'm exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, today, I was, like, up and cheerful and was, like, I only had six hours of sleep. Like, <laughs> it's because it's – this is my theory on it, right? Because I also do that. If if you're waking up and you know you have to do something, like, you have responsibilities, you're, like, man. But if you're just having fun, like, the night before and then you wake up and you really don't have to do anything, you're, like, dabba dabba do. I woke up so early and feel so great. <laughs> maybe that's it maybe it's just the responsibilities that i hate that i know that i'm gonna hate yeah because like you have to be up it's like you don't have a choice you have to be up yeah but so are you saying that if my schedule if any of our schedules If any of our schedules were, uh, like, freeform and we just woke up and, like, went to work whenever we wanted to, we'd be happier? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Perfect. If, if they gave us, like, like, you have to work three times for five hours this week. Don't know, don't care when you do it. Three times for five hours each. We'd be so much happier, I feel like, because I just do them all in one day knock it out and then have the rest of the week listen i can't work 40 hours in one day just feasibly not possible no, no, no. but i like that mentality but yeah you I'm, yeah what i'm saying is you can chain it <laughs> you can chain your no but like that's kind of what like in the end like what i would want to do because yeah. if you think about it you have the ability to I mean, it works differently for, like, a call center because there are times that it's higher volume, times that they need more people, etc. So, like, I understand that. But for, like, a regular job where you just go in, you do accounting, for example, mm-hmm. why not? Be like, well, I woke up and I had a quick breakfast and I started work at 11 a.m. And I worked until... 7 p.m. because I had this stuff that I want to get done, but that means that I worked for eight hours. Tomorrow I can only work for five hours and I still meet my quota, you know? Yeah, that's why I'm like, I'm I'm really jealous of the people that have like their at-home businesses with like Etsy and, and resin making and stuff because mm-hmm. they can just be like, okay, today I'm going to knock out orders or today I'm going to get printing labels done and then like oh, I didn't finish this. I'll just finish it tomorrow. Like, they set their own schedule, and it's so nice. Oh, the dream. I mean, technically, if this ever becomes, like, our official job, then we would also be making our own hours. Please. 
please. <laughs> <laughs> please. <laughs> please. One day, we're working on it. We're working on it. Yeah. To the moon. To the moon. <laughs> to the moon. It'll be good. It'll always be good. I mean, we'll do, we'll do it together. We're going to we're going to help each other realize our dreams of having a free flow work schedule. Yeah. No matter what happens, this is going to be just fun times. No matter what. No matter what. No matter what. It's going to be good. I'm already having fun. Yeah. And if you're not having fun, what's the point? If you're right? not having fun, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> Callback. It's gonna, every time, <laughs> the energy is my favorite. Bafflement. Bafflement. <laughs> Y'all remember that one? <laughs> you The baffling? The baffling. Oh, Speaking of baffling, we made a promise on April 1st to review a series that we were watching. And we're going to be honest, we did not finish watching that series until, like, the other day. <laughs> so we didn't review it. But I say, here and now, while we're having fun, let's do our first technically official review. Okay, okay. Okay. So, Sloon, do you want to explain the show that we watched? Okay, okay. So we watched a show called Murderville, where they took, like, a famous person. And they threw him into a scenario where the person didn't know what was happening, but they had to solve a murder. And it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Arnett was the star, so his character was the lead detective of the series itself. Mm-hmm. And then, like she was saying, there's different celebrity guest stars. So the first one was Conan O'Brien. There was also... I remember correctly, Ken Jung, and there were so many. There were so there many. Was, uh, there was, oh my goodness, my brain went to literal mush. Yeah, it happens to me a lot. <laughs> so the lead actor is Will Arnett, and he plays the detective Terry Seattle, I believe, and then his ex-wife slash chief, she is the one that like gives him a new partner every single episode. So Conan O'Brien was the first one. Then we had Marshall Lynch, Kamal Nanjiani. There was also Annie Murphy, Sharon Stone, and Ken Jeong. And let me tell you, I think my favorite episode was Ken Jeong. Yeah. Like, I also really, really loved Kumal Nanjiani's episode. Just the stunts they put those celebrities through and the entire time the celebrity is also like the official law of improv is you know say yes yeah you do the thing you never but say no you just go with it you just go with it and i think kumal was just like no <laughs> i'm not doing that <laughs> what are your thoughts about the just the base of the show like the scenarios the murders how did the show feel out for you what are, what are your thoughts i liked it a lot i thought it was really well put together i mean you were watching it and then we would like we would be intently watching it and be like hmm, hmm. Mm-hmm. like putting stuff together <laughs> it's it really nice because like they didn't tell you ahead of time like what was going down like some crime shows do so like you're also solving it with the person 
which I really liked. And yeah. I don't think we really figured out how the premise of the show worked until truly episode three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel it took it took us a minute, and then we we're like, okay, because okay. essentially, and there's there's no spoilers. We absolutely want people to go watch the show. Yes, please as go it watch. Is. It's amazing. It's super great. But what they did is exactly what Skloon's saying. There's, you're essentially solving the murder with the trainee, which is the celebrity guest star, and the detective. And you go and you interview the suspects. You try to figure out what's going on. And each suspect kind of gives you clues. So sometimes, like I remember the first episode, we both were like, that's a red herring. Like just straight out the box, we were like, (laughs) That's a red herring. I feel like this is the reason why it's a red herring. And sometimes there's such subtle details that you miss. And it's really frustrating because you're like, oh my gosh, am I really not that observant? Would I really not be a good detective? Like me in the world of true crime, I have a true crime podcast. Am I not that good of a detective? <laughs> well, I also liked it because it was, it was more natural. Like, a lot of the crime shows, they're like, and she grabbed the knife from the cabin. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. They're like, yeah, I just, I owned a cabin. And, you know, I like knives. Yeah. And it just naturally flow into conversation. And then they, like, go back on it. And they're like, this is what you missed. And you're like, how did I miss that? Oh, my God. Yeah. It just happens so naturally. Yeah. And the actual script itself is over the top. Yes. Will Arnett (laughs) does a beautiful job of just being that detective who is kind of like, I would say, like a huge conglomeration of like all the other lead detectives from any other show. Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, he's supposed to be good looking. He's supposed to have a tragic love story. He's supposed to... um, have a tragic backstory because his partner passed away like she was i think murdered i say think when i know she was murdered like 15 (laughs) years ago or 10 years ago one of those but it's a lot of just his personality that you hate him at some points but then you're like wow (laughs) i feel for this guy or oh why why is he being so mean to his trainee and then back to oh he was bullied yeah (laughs) yeah it's a really coaster of emotion. I really also love the fact that, like, they do tell you. They let the trainee come forward who they think is the the murderer. Yeah. And then they go through. At the end, they're like, you're right, you're wrong, whatever. But then the chief, like, literally goes over everything. And that's the only part of me that really feels fictional. Yeah. Like, because the chief the chief i mean it has to be but the chief literally will be like yeah during your interview here and you know blah 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 and during your interview here and i'm just like the chief wouldn't know any of that but i like that they're telling me that i'm wrong or right and the reasons why it is really cool because sometimes like uh, me and Ash are watching it and we came up with reasons or even the people on the show came up with reasons for things that like would either fit and make a whole bunch of sense but was wrong or like mm-hmm. you come up with a reason that wasn't even like stated why they were the killer and we're like whoa wait that worked that brought us back to the solution yep and it was really funny the last episode again no spoilers but mm-hmm. like we both had opposing views and i threw out the most wildest thought <laughs> and Skloon was like that's not gonna happen but what if it happened yeah 
And then it happened. And then it happened. And Skloon was so... <laughs> I was like, she was like, whoa, mind blown. Oh, it was so good. Oh, the just the... <laughs> Just the fact that we were both like, we both at first were like, oh yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Like, how would that work? And then, like, they kind of 360'd it and, like, did a little twirl of, like, look at all this evidence that you literally missed. And it was like, <laughs> what? So, highly, highly recommend it. Uh, Skloon. Mm-hmm. I feel like we should implement a rating system. Ooh. Our rating system, I think we should pick from the series. Just for the series, we'll change it. Yeah. Per each review, I feel like it's going to fit. Slight spoiler, there is a drink that Terry Seattle starts investing in, and it's called Sludge. Yeah. So, Skloon, on a scale of 1 to 5, or 0 if it was absolute trash, Sludge's, 5 being the best, you have to watch it immediately, stop the podcast, let's go. How would you rate this series? You know what? I would give it a five because it was very fun to play along and it was really well done. And the the characters, the actual like characters were a lot of ham and cheese, but like it was fun. I liked it. Yeah, I feel like even the ham and cheese was a good cheese sandwich. Like yeah. it was still a good sandwich overall. So yeah. yeah, I agree with you. Five five out of five sludges. Yeah, five out of five sludges. Even though sludges when shaken are volatile. Oh yeah, don't shake your sludge. Don't shake your sludge. Don't do it. You've been warned. <laughs> it goes kaboom. Goes kaboom, and so will you. Kaboom. That's our that's our first review. I'm Ooh. excited. We do plan on doing more of those. Currently, we've both been in a done so much research and such heavy research as of late that we've been watching. Is it cake? Yeah. So we already did like a little mini review about that last episode, and the synopsis is that it's great. So if you want something that's fun and just kind of a little silly, Is It Cake on Netflix is great. There you go. (laughs) It's amazing. Are we ready to dive into today's cryptid and murder? Yes. Yes. We flippy flopped today, everybody. We flippy flopped. We did. I reached out and I was like, hey, Skloon, the toy box murder was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> can I can I have a cryptid? And Slyn was like, yeah. So Yeah, of course. Whenever you want to do one. I, I don't own them. You know, I just am one. So. <laughs> I am a cryptid. But yeah, I just am one. I'm part of the crew. <laughs> oh, man. That means I should have done you. Should have I mean, done you my do research on Slyn. Not on the podcast. Oh, what are we doing? Oh. All these people. <laughs> Our viewers. Our viewers. <laughs> close your eyes. It's going to get graphic. Close your eyes, but don't close your ears so you yeah. can listen Keep to it Keep those ears open. Stay tuned. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's caught me off guard, so I was like, Skloon. pause and i was like don't do it i was like i'm gonna gonna do it i gotta do it (laughs) i am thankful that you did it it was just (laughs) not usually i i hear or expect like a murderous thing from you (laughs) 
Because <laughs> just so I know, we've been playing a game together recently where you, you're just surrounded by sharks and like stuff. And Skloon's just been like, I'm going to kill the shark! And just goes swimming against it. So that's what I'm expecting. I am 98% Oscar the Shark the Slayer. Oscar the Shark Slayer? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it'll be fine. It's fine. <laughs> well, you, you tricked me. And uh, you tricked me with how you very normally respond to things. And that's fitting. <laughs> Gotta keep guessing. To my cryptid. Stop it. <laughs> I don't want to guess. Uh, to, to start with my cryptid story today, uh, I want to introduce it in the proper manner with Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's epic poem, The Song of Hiawatha from the chapter The Death of Quasin. Far and wide among the nations, spread the name and game of Quasin. No man dared to strive with Quasin. No man could compete with Quasin. But the mischievous Pukwajis, they the envious little people, they the fairies and the pygmies, plotted and conspired against him. That's right. Today, I'm going to talk about Pukwudgies. Pukwudgies. <laughs> and super shout out to my friend Kate, who gave me this idea, and I was thrilled. So, Pukwudgie. That is how it's spelled. P-U-K-W-U-D-G-I-E-S. However, since it is uh, associated with Native American uh, folklore and stories, it also can be pronounced... And just forgive me. <laughs> it can be pronounced Bugwa Janini, <laughs> Bugwa Jimon, and Bugwa Jewe Nene, depending on the tribe. But just for kind of simplicity's sake, because like I said, it does depend on the tribe and it has now also conformed to like modern day. I'm just going to say Pukwaji, because also reading the pronunciation, I feel like I did a horrible job. So. All of those sounded amazing and so fun to say. I'm jealous. They look really great to say. And I <laughs> laugh really hard because I know your cat's name was Bug. Yeah. And so I, I was, was like, thinking that. I was like, Bug Wajinene. Bug. <laughs> That's her full name now. Bug Wajinene. It. It's, or Nenni. I'm sorry. Bug Wajinene. I see, I see. As my cat feels like he was summoned. <clears throat> <laughs> So, uh, Pukwajis, which would be recognizable in one modern-day circumstance, and we're just going to get it out of the way, um, is Harry Potter. It was described as a creature distantly related to the European goblin, <clears throat> short-statured, gray complexion, and with large ears. Being native to America, it became the symbol and name for one of the Ilvermorny school of witchcraft and wizardry to represent the heart of a wizard and the favor of the healers. However, this modern telling of Pukwajis has been criticized for cultural appropriation and colonialism. Essentially, she did not, the author, who we don't name, because, I mean, we stay in trans, so just put that out there. But essentially, the Native Americans, which is where the original story came from, they believe that the way that she was telling the story, it was not appropriate she didn't really give credit to their stories she just kind of took it for herself so the original story 
of the Pukwajis is linked to the lore of Native Americans, mostly Algonquian, who believe that the Pukwajis were once friendly to humans, but eventually turned against them, and it was deemed best to leave them alone if seen. If a person found and thus annoyed a Pukwaji, they are now the receiver of tricks and trouble caused by that Pukwaji. Most of the tricks would be mischievous and in good nature, but typically not dangerous. Such tricks could turn dangerous if the cryptid is treated with disrespect. Such trouble would include, but not limited to, being kidnapped or having those around them kidnapped, pushed off of cliffs, attacked with short knives and spears, blinded by sand, and in the Wampanoag culture, the Pukwaji would be both just as capable of helping a human neighbor as they are to steal a baby or commit sabotages that could lead to death. One would need to mainly travel through the forest, though, to find one, as that is where they are said to be in the Algonquian folklore. Other tribes associated with the Pukwaji are the Chippewa, Abenaki, and the Mohican. In the stories from the Native American cultures, they can appear and disappear at will. It also, with that, necessarily it also said that they could turn invisible, so it's not necessarily that they were just gone, but they just cloaked themselves. So they could lure people to their deaths. They could use magic, launch poison arrows, create fireballs, and shapeshift. Or create fire in general, but a lot of the ones that I saw said that they created fireballs particularly. Usually so that they could lure people into the forest and then subsequently to their death. Oof. Mm-hmm. Kind, of like a, kind of like the fox demons in japanese oh, the kits- folklore kitsune? yep kitsunis those are so cute I, love but- <laughs> I would be honored to die by one of those cute little things with the little blue fireballs yeah, yeah. i want to pet it though if i can pet it and then die i'll be happy please kitsune please take me please to your land take me in the forest let me pet your fluffy tail let it burn and i will subsequently die let yes. me live out my <laughs> life as a chicken nugget Ew. <laughs> I mean, last time you did say that you have the memory of a half-eaten chicken nugget, so it'll fit. That's true. I'm going to become a chicken nugget. Somebody's going to eat me. That's how I'm going to die. So it's no longer that you're strictly just going to be murdered, but now you're going to be murdered via cannibalism by turning you into a chicken nugget. Yeah, or maybe, maybe I've been murdered and then they cook me and eat me. That's a possibility. Well, that's what I'm saying. They'll just, they'll they'll murder you. Oh, I see, I see, I see. I thought you meant I die by them eating me while I'm still alive. <laughs> no, I think zombie. that would be horrible. <laughs> oh, no. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> Could you? <laughs> a zombie. Just nibbled on them toes. You became like a zombie chicken nugget. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, when they did shapeshift, uh, it was usually into a creature that walks upright, has the front portion, so like the front half of them, is half man, half troll, and then the back half of them look like a porcupine. Oh. So imagine a just kind of like like you looking dead on at a person and they had like large ears and looked kind of gray and you're like, I don't know if you're alive or not because you're gray. And they looked just weird proportions. But then as soon as they turned around, you were like, that's a porcupine. <laughs> oh. That is quills and stabby pieces 
No, thank you. Sonic? Sonic, is that you? Sonic. Literally a Sonic, but... Although they are commonly knee-height and sometimes smaller, they may be considered small, proportioned, or like similar to a human. They have unusually large ears, noses, and fingers. So think of Sonic Mm -hmm. just with... Well, Sonic is a hedgehog, but think of a Sonic. (laughs) Oh, that's true. You didn't say porcupine. My brain is like... They're almost the same. They're like... I feel like they're of the same family. Yeah. Yeah. Ignatas? And... Echidnas? There's a word. Echidnas. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, right? Isn't that of the same family? I could be horribly wrong. And you I, know what? At this I moment, I don't so. want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they're all together. But imagine, imagine a Sonic mm-hmm. with long, sharp, pointy scale wheel things at the back of him. And then he's got like human ears that are just big and then he's got like a human-ish face with like a really large nose and then his hands have like long ass fingers ah a cursed son yes and i have pictures in our research that you can easily see them and it's terrifying yeah i put two up there for you (laughs) uh so their name uh means person of the wilderness and in some of the lores they are associated with flowers and they have a sweet smell so the whole, like, they would sit there and they would, like, they're supposed to be not seen, but also, like, they would want to be seen so they can play tricks on people. I kind of have a feeling that they would, like, curl up into a ball. Like, this is my headcanon. They would curl into a ball. Mm-hmm. And then you would walk through the forest and you would just see, like, these quills. And you'd be like, oh, that's a porcupine. And porcupines can be huge. So the thought that this creature is just large enough to be like a really large or just small enough to be a really large porcupine would make sense. But like as you're like walking through the forest, you're like, oh, that smells delightful. I wonder where that's coming from. And then they lure you to their death or lure you to your death. So that's what I'm thinking. Like even though they they have camouflage because they look like a creature that would typically reside in the forest, Mm -hmm. they have a smell. And then when they stand up, they're like, ha ha, I got you. <laughs> Surprise. I, that's just my thought process. Yeah. Did you find the picture of it? I did. They look terrifying. <laughs> they are, ugh. They are, dis- I don't want to say disgusting. They're gangly. They are genuinely scary. But like also, I feel like they could be really cute. You yeah. know, like it's just how they can look. And I do know in in the Harry Potter world, I think they don't look nearly like that i don't think that they have the back part of a porcupine i think they're just kind of like the goblins except they are gray and they just have human large features so they look like humans but they just have larger features but they're also still short like very small i see i see yeah if you google i think if you google harry potter and then pukwudgie it'll give you like a picture of them okay. okay Yeah, so they don't look nearly as scary, but it just, again, the one for Harry Potter is not exactly the one that they're going from from the folklore. So, um, the Wapanog tribe speak of one of their heroes who was possibly slain by, slain by a Pukwudgie, Mashup. It starts with humans and Pukwudgies having a comfortable relationship, like it was amicable, they were helping each other out, it was fine, they were getting along with each other fairly well. However, the humans were becoming more distracted by Mashup, the giant and kind deity who ended up creating the landmass now known as Cape Cod. 
So the humans were just like obsessed with Mashup. They respected him. They loved him. Uh, they were going to him more for their issues or problems, guidance, things like that, giving him gifts and things like the typical thing that you would do with deities. Yeah. But the Pukwudgies were like, yo, that's our relationship. Like we're supposed to be the, we were helping you out. What's going on? So the relationship between Mashup and the humans did create jealousy with the Pukwudgies as they felt slighted as they weren't nearly as loved as the deity. Thus, they started causing more and more trouble. The tribe didn't like the tricks and mischief, so they talked to the mashup's wife, and she asked him to exile the Pukwudgies, forcing them to spread far and wide through North America. And unfortunately, the jealous Pukwudgies did find their way back to the Wapanog tribe and started new tricks and trouble, and actually ended up killing mashup's five children, all of them sons. Some versions state that Mashup killed himself from grief. Some state that Mashup was murdered by the creatures. But in the end, that actually was the last mention of Mashup in the tribe's folklore. It kind of coincides with Mashup being removed from the Wapanog's tales from that moment on. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's story, the one that I spoke of earlier, that ends with the Pukwudgies killing Kwasin the Giant by throwing pine cones at him, was inspired by Henry Rao Schoolcraft, who based his works from the stories from his wife, Jane, who was part Native American, and she was telling him stories from the Ojibwe tribe. Not all stories of the Pukwudgies are from Native American folklore, although they are those originals. Pukwudgies are also rooted in Freetown, Massachusetts, where many people state that they see them in the forests there. And it came to a point where the police of Freetown put up a Pukwudgie crossing sign near the state forest. So oh. it's like, you know, like the deer crossing sign? Yeah, it's just a Pukwudgie They have one. one. <laughs> they have one for Pukwudgies. And I thought that was really cool because even though they may not believe the superstitious and like, oh, it's just like, you know, someone's imagination, maybe they saw a really large porcupine or something like that. The thought that they still want to put people's minds at ease to like just let them be aware that there could be a Pukwudgie is pretty cool just because they're like, hey, you know, things have been happening. Keep your eyes peeled and your ears open. Yeah. The Freetown, though, has its share of dark history as it is the home of Lizzie Borden, the infamous axe murderer definitely we're definitely gonna do a story on her one day she's pretty incredible well the story is pretty incredible because you're just like what (laughs) it's baffling baffling the stories uh around freetown are made even darker with the tales around the hundred foot cliff known as the ledge in the state forest there have been multiple suicides at the ledge many by those that were not considered mentally ill or troubled. And because of this, many people believe the Pukwudgies have lured people to the cliff, possibly even pushing them off. Right, so it's essentially like that whole thing where, oh, but they were so happy. They, you know, never seemed like anything bothered them. Everything in their life was going great, which we all know is not necessarily, you know, right yeah everyone can have mental illness and like be depressed and everything um but a lot of people in the town were like no this person had their whole life going for them they were great nothing bothered them and now they committed suicide and i think personally i think that sometimes 
believing that a cryptid or a creature from a folklore or story murdered or helped assist this kind of death is more believable than your partner that you believed you were in a happy relationship with and they just got a promotion and you know you just told them that you were pregnant or they just told you they were pregnant and they were like no I'm too depressed to handle this and you know they were so mentally ill that they committed suicide yeah so I think that's also kind of a bit where you know you don't want to believe one half because you didn't witness it yeah so But uh, just like how I always tell people, you know, Robin Williams, my favorite actor ever, he, people, a lot of people said was the happiest, kindest, most generous person they'd ever known. He didn't seem to be troubled by every, anything. And he was one of the most troubled people. So you really don't know what goes on in someone's brain, mind, anything. A lot of times people just put out what they want other people to see. Mm -hmm. Because they're so concerned about other people other people's feelings and how they're handling things that they don't want them to think that yeah. they can't handle it. Yeah. So seek help. Seek help. Please. You are not please alone. Please seek help. There's always You're somebody to talk to. Yeah. And we'll make sure, just like we did with the other episode, we'll make sure to put, you know, the suicide prevention hotline in the description for our podcast today. So yeah. you know, if this if this made you feel any sort of way, please reach out. There's always someone. Yeah. But another story, less death-related, is a woman who saw Puckwedgie in the forest while she was walking her dog. She states that she left it alone, she didn't want to bother it, but it still comes to her window every night and taps on it so that she doesn't get sleep. Oh, oh come on, I was man. Like, that Let that feels sleep. like the most pettiest of things. Yeah. It's just like, he's like, ha ha ha, I found, not only did I find your house, but I found your window, and I'm going to tap, tap, tap on it. And I'm going to tap on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Pukwudgies have also been sighted near the haunted Moundsville State Penitentiary in Indiana and in Round Rock in Texas near one of Bigfoot's many supposed residences. So while the stories state that they are people of the wilderness and they typically reside in the forest, just try to stay clear of them. And if you do come in contact with them, treat them with the utmost respect. And if you smell a sweet smell and you're near a cliff, just don't go to it. Don't, yeah, don't go. There's not, there's not waffles waiting for you over there. No, there's, there's no waffles. There's no ice cream truck. There's no flan being cooked. Flan cheesecake. Or funnel cake. Yeah. No. (laughs) Mm. Mm. Flan cheesecake. Uh, so real quick, just my, just my quick sources was the Pukwudgie Wikipedia, as we know, the tried and true. <laughs> the nativelanguages.org, their section on Pukwudgie. The lineup.com, what is the Pukwudgie? If you see one, it's best to stay away. The thoughtcatalog.com, 20 facts about the Pukwudgie. And... Uh, grunge.com mythical creatures that might have actually existed i hope i did you proud you what do you mean you always do me proud how dare (laughs) how dare i like that though i like that that's very cute i haven't heard about the yeah i remember hearing them from harry potter and that's why when i heard it i was like when my friend told me about it i was like 
I know that there's something more. And when I found out that they were related to Native American folklore and that they, you know, are kind of true neutral, they don't give a damn if it benefits them or benefits you. They're going to do what they want. And, you know, they're little mischievous goblins, essentially. And I really like that. I really like that. It's cute. I mean, they can murder you, but... They they can absolutely murder you. They can absolutely drag you off to no man's land. Yeah, but they're still cute. You know what? I want to say it. They're cute. <laughs> I found the commission, or not a commission, but like an artist's rendering. And I was like, you know what? Like, they can definitely make this like a little, like a little cute bean. I feel like this is a great plushy idea. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things that we can do with it. So I really liked it. I was really excited about it. So thank you. I'm happy to, I don't want to say take a break from true crime because I'm excited to hear your story. But yes. I was really excited. <laughs> There's one coming right at you. There's no break. <gasps> uh, but I was really excited to, to do this research because it just felt, I don't know. I felt good doing it. Like it was like, I was like, oh, a mischievous little, little creature, a little a little forest action, a little yeah. ooh. <laughs> you did it so well. I'm so proud of you. Oh. That was very nice. It was nice listening to one because usually I'm like, I, I got to do all this research, but I can just be like, I learn. I learn about a new cryptid friend. Right? Yeah. So, and that's why I'm also kind of excited on what you have because I'm excited to see, or not see, but hear what uh, what true crime mystery you brought with us today. Okay, okay. I'm going to say I had a lot of options and it took me a minute to choose because none of them really like, I don't know, had that zest, that zing that I was looking for. <laughs> The meat and the potatoes. The meat and the for. potatoes. Yeah, it was it was just like a like a sliver of meat and like one half cooked potato. And I was like, man, I mean, <laughs> you know, I would like a nice big portion of meat and some mashed potatoes. That'd be nice. I'm looking for the delectable five star meat stew. Yeah. I don't want this half baked dinty more nonsense. Yeah, I don't want like a hot dog on a French fry. Like I want I want meat and potatoes. A hot dog on a French fry. Yeah. Like it's a hot dog on a stick, but instead of a stick it's a French fry. Yeah, like the French fries through the hot dog. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I have that vision, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's not what we wanted. We wanted a sausage from, like, Costco, like, the giant foot-long Oof. sausage hot dogs. Yeah. And then we want, like, a whole spud. Yeah, like, <laughs> just smothered in mashed potatoes. We want the giant baked potato with the hot dog then in the middle. Because yeah. it's going to be just like a giant, yeah, I got Cheese you. Cheese and bacon and chives and sour <laughs> cream. Mm. You're going to get me hungry. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> Make my own self hungry. But I found one that sounded pretty cool. Sounded pretty cool. I'm ready. Okay. This murder... In 1898, in the city of Dover, Delaware, shocked the world, as it was the first time that the U.S. Postal Service would be used to kill. Dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> Our story begins with Mary Elizabeth Pennington, daughter of former congressman and attorney General John B. Pennington, who was married to John P. Dunning, who worked as a famous war correspondent. The two moved from Delaware to San Francisco, where John received a job offer. So they moved 
to San Francisco. And Mary gave birth to their daughter, Elizabeth. Although, John was a better alcoholic and gambler than a husband. (laughs) Typical. Yeah. Damn it. John, get your shit together. (laughs) (laughs) He served as an AP bureau chief in San Francisco. Unfortunately, while living there, he changed. He began to drink heavily. He gambled away all of their money and spent his time with many different women. Of course. Mm-hmm. In 1895, John was out biking in Garden Gate Park one day and flirted with a woman sitting on a bench. This woman was Cordelia Balkin. Born in Missouri in 1854, she was married to a man named Welcome Balkin, who worked as a grain broker in California and lived with their grown son, Beverly. Welcome and Cordelia became estranged, but... He still supported her financially while they were apart. Can I just say, Welcome is such a fun name. I was going to say, Welcome. (laughs) The fact that he's got a cool name and then B, he was like, hey, I don't want to be married or with you anymore, but I'm still going to support you financially so you're not like broke. Top notch. Yeah. Amazing. Good job, Welcome. You know what? Good, Good job. job. Yeah. Let John learn a lesson. Yeah, John, take notes. <laughs> <laughs> so angry over this. <laughs> I don't know why. Always. Always angry. <laughs> Do better, John. So, uh, John and Cordelia would begin an affair that would last several years. Cordelia lived at the Victoria Hotel. John also rented a room there so it would be easier to hide and go on with the affair. In 1896, John lost his job when his employer caught him embezzling over $4,000 to pay his gambling debts. He was next let go from his job at the newspaper both in Salt Lake City and San Francisco because of his constant drunkenness. When Mary caught wind of the affair and having enough of her husband's cheating ways together with his unemployment and loss of their money, she took their daughter Elizabeth and went back home to Delaware to live with her father. Bolkin had become Dunning's lover and constant companion. He moved into the same hotel she lived in and they would go together to cafes and races. The affair lasted almost three years but ended when Dunning was rehired in March 1898 as an agency's lead reporting for what would become the Spanish-American War. He had to leave immediately to Puerto Rico. He told Miss Bolkin this and she sobbed and pleaded with him to remain with her. Dunning told Bolkin he was leaving for good and that after his assignment, he planned on returning to his wife and child in Delaware. Cordelia did not take the news very well, but she still accompanied him across the bay and then wept bitterly when they parted. Meanwhile, Mary Elizabeth began receiving strange anonymous letters detailing her husband's affairs and warning her against any ideas she might have of rejoining with her husband. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something seems afoot, Miss Some- Cordelia. <laughs> Something seems afoot. These letters are a little sus. Literally. <laughs> mm. I know, right? Ah, ah, wild times. These letters were very upsetting for her, and she would ask her father to intercept them and keep them away from her as to not upset herself further. In August 1898, a small package arrived addressed to Miss John P. Dunning. The package had no return address, and inside was a box of chocolates, a handkerchief, and a single note 
that read, With love to yourself and baby, the note was signed by Miss C, and Elizabeth mistakenly thought it from Miss Laura Colberry, a friend she made while living in California. Miss Dunning, along with her sister, their two children, and two young ladies that were passing by the residence that day, all partook upon the sweets. With Miss Dunning, Oh no. With Miss Dunning, loving sweets, eating three herself. That night, everyone who ate the candy became violently ill with stomach pain and intense vomiting. After two days in agony, Elizabeth and her older sister died, while the other four who had sampled the chocolate survived. Not Elizabeth. Mary, the wife. I'm sorry. I miswrote that. Grief-stricken at losing his remaining daughters, their father, John Pennington, thought something was sus. He sent a sample of the chocolate to the local lab, and it turned out the candies had been laced with arsenic. And the autopsies of the victims disclosed the fact that the ladies both died from arsenic poisoning. How was arsenic just so easy to get yeah. back then? Yeah, they're like, just like, it, here you go. <laughs> was it used for, like, rat poison? Was it used for anything else besides poisoning your lover's wife? Like, I'm not <laughs> sure. There is a there's, there's an example in here. But other than mm. that, I don't know what else it would be used for. I guess rat poison, right? Yeah. I'm thinking it's a rat yeah. poison. It's always, it's always pesticide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always. It's a skin toner. Put it on your skin. I mean, arsenic was also used, uh, I think it was for paint and oh, to yeah. dye things green along oh. with radium, I think. Yeah. That's wild. Anyway, that's a whole other, that's a whole wild. other avenue. Yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth's father compared the familiar handwriting on the note found on the package and saw that it matched the taunting anonymous letters that he had intercepted for his daughter. A local detective Pennington hired wanted to speak with Mr. John Dunning. He was advised by telegraph of what had happened and came back to Dover at once. Dunning was told of the circumstances and shown the letters Mary received over the years and the note accompanying the candy. He immediately recognized the handwriting, that of Mrs. Bulkin, recalled his remark of his wife's fondness for candy, and also that his wife had a friend in San Francisco named Mrs. Corbali, which would explain the initial C signed on the note. Pennington wanted Cordella tried for murder in Delaware, but because laws at the time weren't as they are today, she couldn't be. Cordella had never been in Delaware, therefore she was not a fugitive from Delaware. They wanted her tried in California for the murder, but there was no body in California. The crime hadn't occurred there, so eventually they ended up finding a law, though, that could be used to try her. Handwriting experts were brought in. They compared the letters in the note that accompanied the candy that they were found to been both written by the same person. Mr. Dunning brought in love letters written to him by Miss Bulkin, and the handwriting expert testified that the person who wrote the love letters wrote the address on the candy box and the note. I love the fact that he essentially gave her all of the things that she needed to do to commit the perfect crime. Yeah, he was just like, oh yeah, this, this, and this. Yeah, he basically just spilled his wife's, like, whole, like, backstory to her, not thinking that he would need to ever imagine that she would be a jilted lover. Yeah. And then he later on was like, oh, I know this handwriting and all these things. Yeah. Just... He's just like, oh, no. Yeah. And then the fact that she was, honestly, it was pretty smart on her end to be like, let me mail it literally across country. Yeah, true. 
It's kind of fascinating because of the fact that they wouldn't try her in Delaware because she never set foot in Delaware, but they couldn't try her in California because there's the body wasn't in California. Yeah. It's kind of insane. It is insane. It's like, whoa. When investigating the package, they discovered that Miss Bolton neglected to remove the store tag from the handkerchief inside. (laughs) (laughs) You slipped up. Okay, she wasn't that smart then. (laughs) All the praise taken away. (laughs) In an instant. Police then traced the candy to a shop in San Francisco and from there to Balkan. Miss Bolkin was located in California where she was living with her husband and son. Detective Ed Gibson brought her to San Francisco and in a few days had overwhelming amount of circumstantial evidence piled up against her. She was positively identified as the woman who bought candy in the candy store and that she requested that the candy be placed in a fancy box which did not have the firm's name on it. It was also instructed that the box not be filled completely as she had another article to place inside the box. In the city of Paris store where the handkerchief was from, the clerk recalled the conversation she had with Miss Balkan. When asked why she recalled this so clearly, she stated Miss Balkan's resemblance to her dead mother startled her. Oh. She's like, my mother, she come. Mama? Mama, mama, is that you? Mama. Papa, can you hear me? (laughs) Papa, can you hear me? A druggist employee at the Owl Drugstore positively identified Miss Balkan as the woman who had purchased two ounces of arsenic for the alleged purpose of bleaching a straw hat. Oh. Well, I mean, I guess bleach wasn't around then, huh? I guess, yeah, true. (laughs) And insisted upon still getting it even when the druggist informed her that there are other ways better adapt for this purpose. Miss Almira Rolf related a conversation she had with Miss Bulkin on July 27, 1898, in which the latter made inquiries as to the effect of different poisons on the human system and asked if it was necessary to sign one's name when sending a registered package through the mail. See, she did this way too soon. Yeah. She's just like, bop, bop, bop. Yeah, everyone remembered everything super clearly. If she just kind of like paced it out over like a year or two. Yeah, like did it over like a little time. Yeah, I doubt anyone would remember shit. Yeah. Yeah. Just went all, she just went out for errands one day and just got it all done one afternoon. Then went for tea. Yeah. Yeah. She could have hired like a lady's maid. Like, back in the 1800s. That's true. Hello, my kitchen maid. Can you please go out? No one would recognize a kitchen person. Yeah. Or like a, like a housekeeper. No one would recognize them. Yeah. They'd just be like, it's just a person, yeah. She was just determined for murder way too soon. Yeah, she was. Don't commit murder. Don't commit murder. Don't commit murder. Don't commit murder. The package of candy was mailed at the ferry post office and was particularly noticed by a postal clerk named John Dunning Gang because the address, Miss John Dunning, reminded him of his own name. <laughs> He's just like, wow, that's a quinky dink. And then like, light bulb. First, it was my dead mother. And now it's my name kind of matches your name. <laughs> yeah. She had a horrible pick of the lot. Yeah, she did. Like every single thing she stopped at, everyone was like, oh yeah, I remember her. <laughs> oh. It's funny. Cordelia. Just, <laughs> just do better, girl. And then, that's not even all. Oh, God. A hotel clerk 
even found a torn piece of gilded seal similar to those pressed on candy boxes on the floor of room 26 which Miss Bulkin vacated. It was proven that the seal came from the store and the wrapping on the candy box clearly showed where it had been removed. <sighs> I just love how she a trail of evidence there, lady. Well, also, she was so particular about things. She wanted a particular (laughs) type of bleach. She wanted the chocolates from a particular store, but she wanted them to not fill them up all the way. She wanted her particular hand. Like, there are so many little things that she was just so peculiar about that if she just went with just regular, hey, I just want a box of chocolates. Oh, I want to have it in a fancy thing. I want to give it to my partner. And then she just ate, like, four of them to have the space, you know? Like, yeah. She did this to herself. Yeah, yeah, she did. Her attorney attempted to procure her release on the grounds that the evidence was insufficient, and furthermore, that the jurisdiction for the trial was in California and not Delaware. But it was dismissed. In 1898, Miss Cordelia Bulkin was found guilty of murder. She appealed but was found guilty a second time in 1904 and was sentenced to life in prison both times. Good. Yeah. After her sentencing, Cordelia was remanded to the Branch County Jail rather than San Quentin State Penitentiary. Sadly, around this time, Judge Cook's wife passed away, and he often visited her grave. On one such Sunday, the judge was on his way to pay his respects. To his bafflement, he saw... Cordelia riding along in a streetcar, not accompanied by any guards. Ma'am? Yeah, excuse. <laughs> I would also be baffled. Why was she just <laughs> jaunting around? Yeah. You better have an explanation for this. <laughs> oh, I do. Okay. The next day, he launched an investigation. <laughs> As it turned out, Cordelia was trading sexual favors for a bit of freedom. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of course. I don't know why I didn't think of that. When this came to light, she attempted to take advantage of the situation by claiming that there was a person who resembled her so much that the trial judge was mistaken. And possibly this was the person who purchased the arsenic, candy, and handkerchief. But the claim was not taken seriously. <laughs> no. Bitch, we already have you two times now on a life sentence. Your time for this kind of hullabaloo nonsense is way past. Yeah, she's just like, just, wait a minute. Wait I a mean, minute. she's, again, I'll, I'll give her this. She's using her, what she currently has, her assets, to gain a little bit of freedom. Like, she was like, listen, I have a body and I want freedom. Yeah. Why not? Like, booba. go for it. I have booba. Go for it. Like, I'm not mad at that. I'm just mad <laughs> that murder was committed anyway. Yeah. And therefore, she's just trying to get out of it. Yeah. She's just like, no, it wasn't me. It was somebody else. You guys are wrong. What? You're sorely mistaken. You're just, your eyesight <laughs> is so poor. Yeah. That was a whole other person. Remember, I resembled someone's dead mother, obviously. Obviously, There's I can resemble someone somebody else. else. Who, <laughs> yeah. Someone else could look just like me. Yeah. Oh. Mm. 
After the Great Francisco Earthquake of 1906, the jail became too crowded and Cordelia could no longer enjoy the small comforts the little jail offered. She was transferred to San Quentin and on March 7, 1910, at the age of 56, she became unconscious and died. The death certificate shows that she died from softening of the brain due to melancholy. Melancholy? Yep, she was too sad she died. What was her? How? How is that? <laughs> is that even a thing? I don't she, know. she was too sad that she was moved from prison to prison and therefore she could not stand the discomfort that she is no longer. How da they put her in this prison? How da? Oh, that's kind of. Listen, you know what? She got to experience her life a little bit longer, she got to try to be smart. All right, I'll I'll give it. I'll give it. <laughs> uh, that is the tale of the Poison Candy Murders. You did such a good job. Thank you. That was incredible. Real quick, my credits are 100-year-old murder case that still haunts Denver, Delaware at y.org. Wikipedia, always. Historicalcrimedetectives.com. Murderpedia.org. HeatherMonroe.medium.com. SFGate dot com Fran- san francisco murder also i am 98 percent sure that our mega beauty queen bailey sarian uh i think she did a story about the poison chocolate murders oh. as well mm-hmm. Ooh, yes. I'm, I'm 90 percent sure just because it sounded a little familiar to me but i didn't remember pretty much anything so <laughs> true i greatly appreciate you telling me about the first you said it was the first murder committed by usps mail yep this is the first ever murder committed by mail it's insane it, is that the only murder that's been com- no because people no, have no, been no. blown up before right yeah and, with, and, and people yeah. have been had like open letters with the, the powder stuff that's right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i i i want to say that i don't think she tried she clearly tried but like she absolutely could have played the other part where she was like, listen, I just wanted to make her sick. I just wanted to play a prank. I just wanted to, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I didn't mean to make her sick. If she ate one, she would have been fine. That's just so frustrating how because her lover was like, hey, I'm going to go back to my wife and kid. Yeah. Bye. She was like, ah don't want this but she's also with her husband and child like yeah oh it did it did say that i didn't put in there when she went to prison um welcome ended up uh suing her hell yeah he did yeah yeah he did he was like listen i was literally paying for your comfort yeah and you're just messing around with people and and making murder schemes i mean granted i don't know if they had like that condition where like she wasn't allowed to be with other men. Oh, but true. still, like, if they were divorced and he was taking care of her, like, at least she would have had the common decency to be like, hey, like, I want to see other people. Like, yeah. I want to, maybe if I get remarried, you don't have to keep taking care of me, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you for that. You're I welcome. It was so nice to just sit and listen to a tale about <laughs> murder. Yeah. Murder. <laughs> What is, uh, to take us out on a, on a high note, what is your saloon full of sugar today? Well, um, I get to play games with friends now. I actually get to play games with people now. 
now that I have a new <laughs> laptop. It's exciting. It's always exciting to to be I don't want to say to be included, but like to have the capability to be included. Yeah, to have a, you know? a, an option and be like, ah, oh, yes, I can do this. Well, because we've always wanted you to join us and like hang out and be friends, but like we couldn't for some of the things that we were doing because you didn't have the ability. This yeah, you do, and I'm so excited. Yeah, because we too. get to play games and relatively peaceful games. Yes, to be honest. Yes. Oh. Vibe. Listen, we had a we had a nice vibing time last night, mm-hmm. me and Ash, and it was just so peaceful. And we didn't want to quit, but we we're like, we have we have to sleep. We have to sleep at some point. It's three thirty. We yeah. should probably go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of my spoonful. I mean, nothing really has happened this week significantly. Um, but just just being with friends and you and having a good time has just been the best so i greatly appreciate our time together and i'm excited for our new true crime documentary or movie that we're going to be watching soon and we'll have a new review too yeah new review (laughs) with that please don't forget to follow us on twitter at mhm pod please you know if you have any stories that you want to tell us please don't hesitate to just give us the deets or any suggestions about any stories that we can cover. Or any of your squimfuls. Send us your squimfuls. Your squimfuls. Yes. And I guess we'll see y'all next week. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> this has been an episode of Murder Horror Monsters. Music produced by Dank with a Stank and Spooky Rose. Research and stories completed by Ash and Skloon. Follow the podcast on Twitter at MHMPod. Join us every Tuesday for new content on Spotify.